clubhouse. I'm broken. And before all this, you were the picture of perfection. Please. <laughs> Thank you. No. I mean, I couldn't stand being around you before. You had the presence of like a pointy houseplant. But a naggy one. A naggy ficus. Is this you being nice? I mean, I came up here looking for you, not because things were going to shit and I had to talk to you, but because I wanted to. I'm just, I'm saying, if this is you broken, if this is you broken, stay broken. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your companion podcast for AMC's new series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Tonight we're talking about episode seven, Broken. It was written by showrunner Craig DiGregorio and Kate Loveless, which this looks like her first writing credit, or at least her first significant TV series writing credit. Like so many of the episodes of the series have been, it was directed by Anna DeCosa. How are you doing, Caroline? great i was sucked into this episode mike i watched it two or three times i ran to the facebook group and was like i cannot wait to discuss this this one just captivated me i was just sucked in so hard Join us over on the Facebook group, Kevin Can F Himself Fans, where we are talking about all these different episodes and really getting great feedback. I'm loving the different points of view that we're getting, and it's making me think about different characters in different ways. If nothing else, it is a great group of people that we don't have to constantly be explaining you know, you have to get the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel like I feel like it's almost like a refuge for people like fleeing <laughs> Shit's Creek groups who are like, Eddie Murphy is not playing Alexis here. I, I don't like this. This is not Shit's Creek. No. She's not that funny. No. She's not no. that funny. This show's not making me laugh. Yeah. I, and I find him annoying. We're yeah. like, yeah, okay, we got all that. Right. Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, this is like the group where when you're done talking about those things and you want to get into it this is where we're doing it you ready to talk about some title cards yes ma'am what i mean obviously this bear interrogation light bulb over the fuck you know was pretty self-explanatory on this one not very complicated we had a lot of the interrogation police moments in this episode when you see that it is allison being the subject of the interrogation it really ups the ante like they're treating her pretty significantly like she is the subject of an investigation here not unlike the way tammy was focusing on patty when she first came on the scene here it really feel like Allison was underneath the bare light bulb of interrogation in this episode. Certainly. And at first, to be honest with you, I didn't know if we were in a dream sequence. So the episode begins in the past. So it begins with Allison talking to Nick about, you know, how she's going to be out of town next Saturday. So that's when he has to do it. You know, picking right up from the end of last week, the Grand Victorian mm -hmm. episode where she took charge of the planning and, and Nick conceded to her, you know, standing up to him like bullies do everywhere. You know, he gets fired and then 
he has to move up the timeline, and that's what prompts her being brought into this thing. So watching all of that, I was like, well, the obvious question is, oh shit, Nick went and did it. But I don't think it's that easy, and you know, obviously I think we'll probably talk about it, about what actually happened. We don't really know what actually happened. I'm excited to go through what we think actually happened. Me too, me too. (laughs) Break down that sitcom plot usage portion for me, Mike, because I know that you've been doing a great job of trying to keep track for us. Some of these episodes have felt like, my goodness, we are sitting in sitcom the whole time, and other times feel like, man, okay, that was actually very palatable. We weren't there that long. This one, in this episode, Broken, we didn't get our first sitcom scene until just after the 17th minute of the episode. And only three segments. It only went to the sitcom world three times the entire episode. But in that three times, it totaled for 15 minutes or 15 minutes and nine seconds of the 43-minute runtime of the episode. So actually, more than most of the episodes was spent in the sitcom world. It just didn't really feel like it because they lumped it together in three very long scenes. So again, it was a really different way of treating the, just telling their story narratively. I like that about the show. It's not predictable. They're using the sitcom device to tell their story as they need to tell it each week. They're not like stuck in a formula of it. Additionally, I felt like the fact that we had Neil and Kevin go to the fertility clinic, mixing the the settings of the drama with the sitcom actually made me feel like we were straddling like that that drama sitcom line where, yes, they were obviously calling it the fertility clinic and it was the sitcom side, but we were in the drama setting and we were following up on what had happened on the drama side. So it didn't feel quite as like, oh my God, we're just sinking in the sitcom plot over here. Right. It's always jarring to me at seven episodes in when this show leaves that living room, when it leaves the, when it leaves the McRoberts living room. You know what it feels like? It feels like on the Muppets, like when you see like Kermit riding a bike or something and you're uh, like, why am I seeing their legs? Why are they walking in the real world? Like this all seems odd and bizarre. Yeah. It's like they've broken through the screen and they're running yeah. muck. You know, it feels like, like that's the Simpsons, like, 3D version of the Simpsons when he, like, comes out of the dumpster and is walking in the real world. It's funny. I was weird. See, I was going to go with a Tiny Toon Adventures uh, oh, okay. uh, shout out. Like, Tiny Toon Adventures would always break, like, the fourth wall and escape yes. into, like, the world kind of thing. Um, yeah, so, and, and seeing them in particular go to the fertility clinic where Allison had been in a very dramatic scene of the episode, you know, seeing her do that and then seeing them in the same place and now taking it in a, from a sitcom point of view where, you know, they're grossed out by the female body, which obviously they're, these two men are. Such a mess. I, I have in my notes here, it should be a crime for these two men in particular to be allowed in a fertility clinic around pregnant women. <laughs> uh, you know, it should be it should be illegal. They're they're a menace to society and in particular to, to women when when they're like, you know, who would do this to their body? And Neil obviously goes, no, man, we're not talking about you. But then he says we're talking about her. That was unnecessary. That was just being that was just being mean for no reason. Like just uh, uh, they're, they're the worst. <laughs> they are the absolute worst. So we actually got a little bit of insight, though, while we were here at the fertility clinic when Allison was there. We finally got a little nugget about how Kevin and Allison met and just a little, little bit of their story. So they were, they were, she was only 20 and, and they were talking about the wedding day. I mean, oh, the writing for this is really, really thought provoking for me because the Kevin pants the priest story 
Okay, they could have left it at that. But the fact that she had that extra little phrase in there where she goes, he didn't like notice me. He didn't like acknowledge me. He pants the priest and made me laugh. I was thinking about that because they could have left that out and they could have left the sitcom sort of viewer, if you will, the one who was like, I don't really understand what the problem is. I love the fact that he pants the priest, the Kevins of the world, if you will. They could have left them without the alternative. But by like adding that little phrase of like, he should have checked in with her. He should have asked why she was upset. It's like teaching the Kevins a little bit, feeding a little bit of information and like, perhaps you could have done this instead. Did the pants in the priest work for you? Would you fall in love with Kevin? No, I wouldn't. Hearing her and knowing people who have gotten married young, who then years later look back and they're different people. I mean, I was one of those people. I, I met, you know, the woman that I would eventually marry when I was young. And then we dated for six years. These guys dated for five before they got married. We know the timeline. They dated for five years. They got married when they were 25 and they're 35 now. You know, I, I dated for six years and then got married and I'm divorced. And looking back when I was 21 and a half, I was a very different person than I was when I was 30, 39. Yeah, whatever it was about that, you know, a very different, a very different person. I got and I appreciated this bit of story. I like that they added this because this was a question that you and I specifically have talked about a couple of times. Is the show going to show us or tell us what put them together? Allison and, and Kevin are so far apart from each other, it seems now, in their 30s. What drew them together? You can see at 20, Allison, desperate for consolation, was amused by Kevin because he would do things like pantsing the priest, which she took as him trying to make her feel better. That was her interpretation that she put on it. It's the interpretation that even reflecting on it now she still has of that moment versus mm -hmm. it just being a coincidence that Kevin being Kevin Kevin is the same person at 35 as he was at 20, did something that made her feel better. I didn't get the impression that Kevin actually did this to make her feel better. I got the impression Kevin pants the priest because Kevin thought it was funny. It just oh. happened to have the effect of making her feel better. And she interpolated that. I mean, not to go on a tangent here, but a lot of times... <laughs> People see in their partner the person they want them to be versus the person they actually are. And I think this is a great example of 20-year-old Allison seeing in Kevin the person she wanted him to be, the person who would always pants the priest to make her feel better, versus the Kevin that actually is who pants his priest because it makes Kevin funny and doesn't really care about Allison at all, because if he had, he would have checked in on her. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And it helps with the dual drama versus sitcom storytelling. We won't ever really know why Kevin did it. If he did it because he was flustered and didn't know how to make Allison feel better. So, so instead of just confronting her and asking her about her feelings, he did something that he knew would make her laugh. Maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't even notice she was crying or doing whatever and just pants the breeze because that's just the antique person he is. We'll never know. But that's kind of the complicated storytelling I think that we have here that that makes you constantly look at it from both sides. I agreed, agreed. But also at the end of the day, I think because this is Allison's story, it really actually doesn't matter that much what Kevin's real motivations are. Very true. Because at the end of the day, it matters how Allison took it. And she took it as, this is a man who is always going to pants a priest to make me laugh. I thought he'd do anything for me. 
that's a big fucking leap to make. <laughs> it Dancing is. Dancing a priest to I thought he'd do anything for me. And she is being completely sincere here. This is not Allison building a paper trail for, you know, showing that they are a happy couple looking to start a family for when he eventually is dead. And so to, you know, take the track and sniff off of her as, as a suspicious party which is why she's actually there. That part, that story she tells, the extra parts that she tells, ending it with, I thought he'd do anything for me. That is all her just caught in her own memories and her own reflections on how this began, which leads to how she got here now, 15 years later. And it turns out that, you know, maybe what you need at 20 isn't what you need at 35. And so (laughs) the thing is, is that maybe she did just need to laugh. I mean, it's clear to us that she was coming off of a relationship with Sam And that's where we're pretty much at at that timeline, you know, whenever she would have gotten involved with Kevin. So maybe being with someone who was just clowning around and and making her laugh was good enough. But by the time you're 35, you want someone to care about what your thoughts and dreams and hopes are. Very different. And you're right. We all try to make that person standing in front of us the dream person. And we're willing to look past a lot of things, especially if you're reading into what a nervous, anxious person Allison really is. This whole scene was really interesting in the larger context of the episode because of how once Kevin decides that he's going to, that the world you know, deserves and needs many Kevins to populate it. Uh, I'm thinking of the scene at the end, at the very end of the episode where he goes into this whole, he grabs the gun or Chekhov's gun as, as we should probably call it. He grabs a gun and he goes into this whole speech about feeling a need to protect her and the baby that doesn't exist yet, which is very funny running joke in the episode that, you know, there's still nothing in there. You combine the, he would do anything for me. And that reflection of what drew her to Kevin early on or made her feel comfortable that he was the right guy for her at 20 together with this Kevin's urge to protect his family at the end of the episode. This is the first time the show's really done anything to promote Kevin in a positive light. It it really is. And it was the first time he like even spoke without that really silly affectation. I mean, he actually just seemed believable. I mean, it seemed serious when it was happening, when he grabbed the gun, when he was talking to her, he had a tone and a steadiness about him that was completely different. If they had switched to the single cam view at that point versus when he leaves the room, I would have bought it because of the tone shift. But again, he's still doing the us thing, like as if there was a baby there. And so I guess right, I guess right. there is that still a bit to comedy. But you're right, his tone was as serious as it had ever been. There's a couple times in this episode where his tone is far more serious than it has typically been. But promoting Kevin for the first time in seven episodes now we've gone we're we're in hour seven of the show. This is the first time that they promote Kevin. I don't think we can lose sight of the fact that it's the episode where they paint Sam in the most dislikable light that they have shown him in the series. Calling her broken? Oh my goodness. <sighs> that, I mean, really, I like, I like sat back in my seat. I was like, really? That's cruel. I, I can't imagine trying to assess somebody else's situation like that and saying such ugly words. Like, my God. We're not some big love story. You're my boss. We have sex in a, in a closet. No, you know, it's more than that. No, we pretend that it is because we don't want to acknowledge the boring truth, which is that we're two tired, shitty people who just needed to feel something. Do you feel anything? 
suddenly I'm more than happy to never do this again because you... I don't know when you got so... broken. Now, I think an obvious first question here is, is Sam's reaction to Allison breaking things off so that she can maybe work things out with Kevin, is it justified or is he being too aggressive here, given what we have seen of them so far together in the series? It feels extremely dismissive of the fact that she's married and, the, and that she's even saying anything like that. It feels like he's not even giving that 1%, you know, moments thought, which I understand. I mean, Kevin, like for the audience, has been painted for the last previous six episodes as being such a boob it's hard to understand when she's like you know I think I should try to work this out now obviously we know as the audience that she's got a lot of other reasons for breaking up with Sam here including like what it looks like and doesn't want to be in this affair when something goes down with Nick and Kevin so that's all understandable but I just thought that Sam I mean I don't know, Mike, do you think that there's some big love story? I mean, was he trying to go too far there? My whole thing with Sam is that, and I think it's telling, when he ends that quote with, I don't know when you got so broken, that's the first time Sam has maybe realized that Allison that he's been fucking and the Allison that he's still infatuated with is not 16, 17-year-old Allison. It's 35-year-old Allison, and she's lived a whole fucking life while he was away in Syracuse and wherever else he was before moving back to town to open With up that Jen diner. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, this is the first time, and we have talked about this a bunch. Sam has been having sex with the girl in his past, not with the woman in front of him. And I know that sounds gross, but I think that's, it's, it's what it is though. This is the first time Sam has even remotely acknowledged that she is different than he thought she was. But of course she is, Sam. You you have been willfully ignoring the fact that yeah. this is not a this is not the same person and you've been ignoring all of the red flags. And the fact that she's told him I'm not the same person. I right. mean, like, let's yeah. talk about that for a yeah. second. Like, we're sitting there being like, should Kevin have noticed that she was feeling upset on our wedding day and talk to her? Sam Hello. I mean, Allison's been telling you I'm not the same person. I'm I feel different. Like I'm a different person. And he's just been ignoring that. Like, nah, that's not you. So then to say, like, I don't know when you got so broken, it's like, hey, asshole, I came in here broken and you ignored me. You know, like, good God. I jumped on you in the closet in your office when right before we had sex. And the last thing I said before we had sex was, I'm not wallpaper. That's not normal sexy talk. Maybe that should have given you some pause <laughs> that, that I have some issues I'm working out through having right. sex with what you right Sam's now. What does Sam's foreplay look like if I'm not wallpaper just glides on He's by? He's like, hell yeah, yeah, baby. He's like, you're, you're not. You're totally a desk blotter, honey. Like, what does the matter with you? You're a mosaic. <laughs> tile baby get that shirt off messy i mean but but you're so right like he didn't acknowledge it so then to flip that on her and say like well when the hell did you become this mess she's been a mess the whole time man and there is there's a lot of body language here and and actual physical action here that i do not like that puts me on I, i have i have a lot of strong feelings about physical abuse in particular in relationships I, it's a very hot button issue for me she says all this to her and he grabs her arm and demands and and says that he he deserves to understand more of what's happening here no yeah. no motherfucker no you've been a dick in a room that's all you've been you deserve nothing especially coming off of their conversation in the grand victorian hallway at the end of last week's episode 
where she she tries to tell him like listen i i had it because she right because he he tries to play the white knight with nick and when mm-hmm. he walks in on a conversation that he wasn't a party a party of but she's trying to tell him again i'm not in control of anything i i don't know who you think i am but i am not this control meister now maybe she is and maybe she is in control of more things than she thinks she is and maybe when it comes to sam she is but there were parts of that conversation where she says things like oh i forced you he was an unwilling participant in the sex no sam like you you were getting the same physical treatment out of this as i was because we're two tired shitty people trying to run away from our actual lives and i i don't know that we can really talk about this conversation without talking about the sam and jen stuff in this episode which again shows a lot of sam backstory and i don't think shows sam again in the best light i was thrilled to get to follow sam home and was really surprised to have sam and jen conversations especially with with her parents like away from allison like you know most of the time we were just following allison around and you had mentioned like how odd it was to to have, you know, different groups of people together when you don't have Allison anymore. Like, it all feels weird in different settings and all that kind of stuff. I felt like this was like, whoa, we are getting a lot of insight. I have to tell you, understanding the money situation and understanding the whole dynamic there, and then, oh my God, when Sam says the first comment about the parents, I was like, okay, that's fine. When he starts to say the second comment... I they had the camera hadn't even gone over to Jen's face yet and I was like too far too, too far. far too far yeah. everyone can say what they want about their own parents but you can't talk about someone else's parents like that and like you're yeah. stepping way over the line which again while we haven't looked at as at Sam as a Kevin how is this any different about not reading the room, not being appropriate in the things you're saying, not connecting with the woman that you're talking to? I mean this is Kevin behavior. I totally felt the the temperature in the room drop when he went too far. He like uh, saying like he would have been better off borrowing from a loan truck because at least they just like break your fingers and move on. And now this is him obviously get his his feelings getting the better of himself about his true feelings about her parents and how they use money to control them and manipulate them, which is a which is a discussion to have. And in-laws can be difficult. And money, when money gets involved from the in-laws into your marriage, can be difficult and can be tricky. And and leads to a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of awkward feelings. And I understand a lot of what Sam is feeling here. But you have to know when you've gone too far, right? I can say what I want about my parents. You can only say so much in solidarity to me. And when he says, he even says, I was just agreeing with you. No, 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 no. No, Sam. You were <laughs> you were venting your own feelings under the guise of agreeing with Jen. And, and, and. You, right. you were not just being a good partner to her. I got to say, Jen's, Jen's snip back, though, of let's be honest, you're one hell of a project. Woo! I was like, damn. Th- this man, I... I there's nothing Sam could do but run out. There, there's not. And then his reaction, I mean, he. Uh, let's listen to the clip because then his callback to her on the lawn, which again, how awkward for these two, fa- these two people who you know don't like discussing. You just know they're the kind of people who don't discuss their, fam- their marriage business outside of the walls of their home. 
for them to have this conversation end on the lawn where you know those goddamn neighbors are probably listening and watching and judging mm -hmm. them. Oh, boy. Let's listen to this uh, because it's it's just some great acting here from uh, Jen and, and, and Sam. What? They're very generous with us. We're your parents anytime we need anything. Okay, that's not... I'm just agreeing with you. They've taken us to the Bahamas every Christmas for how many years? And that's very nice of them. But I never asked for the Bahamas. They just want us to be happy. We wouldn't afford this kitchen without them, let alone your kitchen. Oh, you mean the uh, little cafe they funded? Stop it. You think they'll ever let me be proud of that place? Of building anything, knowing it came from them? I'm just their latest thing to throw money at. Well, let's be honest, you're a hell of a project. Where are you going? Maybe I don't want to waste the next 15 years trying to distract myself. People who have been in relationships for a long time and have dealt with in-laws and then dealt with money issues, I don't know anyone who can't relate to this scene and these words and, and as hurtful as they can be and maybe you would take them back if you had the chance, but they're once they're out of your mouth, they're out of your mouth. I agree with you wholeheartedly that that the fact that this went like more public and it wasn't just in the privacy of their own home has got to be like bone chilling to specifically Jen. Yeah. Their relationship and the idea like all I kept thinking about was Sam is walking in there gotta be smelling like Allison right mm -hmm. and he's coming in off of a breakup. And just the whole scene set there that they're eating out of like takeout containers on paper plates and it's all so like disposable is what I just kept thinking. These people and this entire relationship is so disposable and it just felt like holy shit Sam how did you just call someone else broken? The, the food containers and the takeout nature of it really struck me too because Sam is the cook of his own restaurant his family waiting for him are are eating takeout food from uh, presumably not bev's diner right well and obviously i mean they're doing a kitchen reno so like for those of you listening when you're like uh duh you guys they probably don't have working appliances sure, and sure, stuff sure. right now totally get it but there is something about it's the butcher whose family doesn't get meat oh shit talk about not taking care of your own you know don't talk don't be calling other people broken over there this is the first time we haven't had Patty, Allison, Kevin, or Neil in the scene, in the show, I think. I, yeah. I, I can't think of a time that it didn't involve one of those core four in the scene. These are two technically side characters or recurring characters who are now getting their own substantive screen time. And, you know, and I think Raymond Lee and Megan Leathers, um, who play Sam and Jen are wonderful in these roles and and i'm glad that they got the room to stretch their legs but it was again jarring like so much of this episode it was jarring to watch this drama this single cam drama play out without an allison there but in a way allison is there because you said ep a few episodes ago when we got a really good look at jen for the first time you called her an allison clone and mm. i found myself thinking about that comment because think about sam's trajectory he went and found himself or an acceptable Allison that could be the wife he wanted with Allison, but couldn't get for whatever reason. That's what Jen has been this entire time. It feels like she's been like this poor woman's Allison to Sam 
but she's not. She is a living, breathing, functioning human being who is, you know, involving her family, trying to get them money to do the house, trying to get, obviously giving him a steak to start Bev's diner. You know, I, I am not ignorant to Sam's feeling of the the in-laws are holding the money over my head and I can't be proud of this thing that I'm building because it always it'll always have been something that came from them. I'm not I'm not ignoring that. But he's coming off here really ungrateful in a way that I found very unpalatable, especially coming off of how he was treating Allison just moments before. Well, and like righteous, right? Like he's he's right. coming off like he is just this guy who's working so hard for his family. P.S. You're fucking your ex in the closet. Like stop acting like, you know, you got no, no, uh, no issues in your own little closet here. Like, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing? I'm glad you brought up the word righteous because I thought of that word and I use condescending in my notes, but I thought of that when the next day after she has her bathtub cry with Patty, she goes back into work and wow, she's still working at the diner after all that, which I guess, I mean, she needs a job. I found Sam incredibly condescending to her here, assuming that she was drinking away her problems. And now, yes, he is a recovering alcoholic and so he is... You know, there's a there's a part of him that's obviously going to be looking for signs of drinking as a way of solving your problems in others. But I also found it a little sanctimonious for him to assume that and and to then speak about about it. You know, his whole the whole air and vibe about him in that scene came off wrong. Even if the words were right, even if the concern was correct, the delivery and the air of it had a real nasty righteousness or sanctimonium about it that really turned me off. And the projecting, right? I mean, like you said, like he he himself has a problem with alcohol, so his assumption would be that that's how she's going to deal with her problems. Now, maybe that is some sort of little glimpse into perhaps their days together. You know, I mean, maybe they did drink together. Maybe that was like a whole part of their relationship that he's assuming she's still like that, you know, and, and again, just sort of not really getting to know who she is today. And here's the thing, though, Mike. I mean, she does drink quite a bit, right? I mean, she she definitely drinks to get away from her problems, but I don't. I, there's not an aspect about her that strikes me as she drinks to the point where she has a problem. I mean, she was sitting in a bathtub drinking though. So when he's like, "Were you drinking last night?" and she just acts like she just was at like bunko drinking like a bottle of you know wine spritzer. A little. I mean, come on. He's a little closer to right than she actually paints it. But it's wrong to assume. I mean, he shouldn't say that to her. No, of course. He shouldn't be saying anything to her. Like, that that avenue has been closed off, at least for now, between them, given the conversation just the day before. She could have been drinking on, you know, sitting on the edge of a bridge and drinking. And he doesn't have a right to say a fucking word to her. That has to be her journey to work out. And, you know, this is not the first time we've seen Allison drink in the bathroom. It was the very first episode. Drinking in the bathtub is a whole damn thing, though, Where right? else? But where else like, does I she mean, have to go, though? That's the that, well, that's I don't part know. Of, is it a problem that she drinks? Like, this is what I'm saying. No, like, I don't know. A don't normal so. person just, just pours a glass in the kitchen. Why are you in the bathtub? Because the kitchen was being She's used. She's hiding. I know. She can't go drink in her ba- bathroom. Nothing belongs to her. Like, listen to Neil and uh, when Patrick. Patty asks where Allison is. Neil and Kevin are like, oh, she's going to doll. She's dolling herself up in the bathroom to be a groupie. They just created that. They have no idea what she's 
doing in the bathroom. That's just her. It's a mess. It's it's just where she has to go. It's the only place she has. She has no one and she has no places. So where is she supposed to go? Has your feelings for Sam changed? Are you looking at him differently now? Is he not the the right one for Allison that maybe we all thought maybe he should be? You know, we were singing his praises. He's the one giving her truth bombs, talking real truth to her, being like the hard nosed intro into the world and how to deal with people but also kind of like from a place of love are you looking at kevin differently given how he acted in this episode and the panting the priest story definitely i mean i think that both men are showing different sides of themselves that have been presented in a different way as we've been watching the show so i think that sam hasn't actually changed i mean his truth bombs calling her broken isn't not a truth bomb it's just not kind. <laughs> it was being used as a weapon in that moment. And so in that in that case, making her feel badly about the truth bomb feels differently than him being more questioning early on. So it's not even that it necessarily that is that his words changed or that the idea of, of being the one in her life that gives the truth bombs changed. It's just that he weaponized it. He started doing it for his own advantage. He started doing it to put her down. That's different. Before, it was more of like a introspection. Like, well, but did you wall yourself off? Like, that kind of thing. Like, that didn't sound so ugly as calling her broken. So that's definitely changed. And for Kevin, for sure. I mean, even having a moment of just seeing Eric Peterson being that more serious concentrated actor you know not having his hair flop all over the place not having his physical body look so silly all the time but have him look strong and sturdy and and really focused was a huge change in how we see him as a character yeah i I mean this is the pin ultimate episode i can't believe i'm using it i mean we're 38 minutes into this recording and i haven't used the word penultimate yet but this is the penultimate episode of the penultimate (laughs) penultimate episode of the season maybe the series you know there hasn't been an official season two pickup yet i don't know if that's going to happen so this may be one of the last chances we get to see these characters and what a twist to give us with only an hour left of the story maybe But it's consistent in terms of making sure that we as the audience always hang on to that. You never know what battles other people are fighting. We had no idea that when Sam went home, he would have in-laws staring at him in a sterile, sad, like, honestly, his whole background is being, like you said, like this diner cook and to go home and not have a kitchen. I mean, think about that. That is that is the biggest metaphor I can think of. Like his livelihood, who he is, doesn't exist when he goes home. He loses himself completely once he goes there. There is so much going on there that I, I give them so much credit. And I know that that we've been given some feedback that maybe we aren't criticizing the show enough we're not saying like bad things enough about the show, but I, I guess for myself, there's enough things they're doing right that even though if there, you know, there's, of course, every show has moments where you're like, well, I might've written that a little differently, or I might've done that a little differently, but there's overwhelming evidence that they're doing things that are entertaining and interesting and keep, keep me coming back for more that 
I mean, that's what's taking over my brain every time I'm watching. I am always drawn to shows that are serialized for one thing, where it matters what came before, and you had to watch it and pay attention to it to inform what you're watching now. But I, I am drawn to shows that play with and change their way of telling their story, that play with the narrative devices that we're all used to seeing. This show has blown me away from that standpoint. I, I've never seen anything like it. So at the end of every episode... I, I don't have bandwidth to, to quibble with this choice or that choice or this joke or that joke because I am sitting here trying to puzzle out what I feel, you know, <laughs> what I feel and what, yeah. I think it's, what I think is happening and what I think is going to happen. That's where all my mind goes. It's a super good point that when someone is doing something fresh and new, I'll admit I give them a lot more leeway because they're being brave and they're trying something different. I just give them a lot more rope. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be quick to, to gripe about something because it's not like they have a roadmap of like thousands of shows who have done it before them. When you come into a show and it's like, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this exact plot done before and they did it better in a different show. Then, yeah, you pick it apart. But, you know, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's music. I don't care if it's, you know, art, paintings, whatever, sculpture. When you see something that's never been done before, it is so much, I guess, harder, I guess I want to say, to really criticize that because you're like, wow, they had the guts and they had the vision to try something totally different. And and I want to talk about what's different about those things and why it's exciting. Let's jump back to the episode, beginning of the episode really quickly because we get Nick only at the start of this episode on screen and then he's gone. And But I think in the few scenes we have with him, for, for again, a really minor side character who may or may not have an important part to play in the show... Robin Lord Taylor is doing a lot of interesting things here. I was curious uh, what you thought of his reaction to pushing Zach, the clumsy water boy, into the fryer. I mean, now, to be fair, Zach barrels into him without, <laughs> uh, without acknowledging that two human beings are standing in his path. He just goes forward. And we've all watched enough Chop that you're supposed to say behind or whatever when you're passing people in the kitchen, Or, right? like, literally in fucking front of you, Zach, <laughs> right. with the water bottle. Right. Um, you know, but as soon as he pushes him to the fryer, you know, Nick's face drops and he, exas yeah. he exasperates to himself. He knows he fucked up. I think that was a great little bit of acting. You know, he's got his own impulse control issues. We've talked so much on the show about people with their impulse control issues. I really appreciated seeing that reaction by him, knowing he just fucked up in a major way. I keep trying to decide if it's Robin Lord Taylor or if it's the writing or if it's the character itself, like how he's kind of gelling for me. I, I can't parse it out, like, who it is. If, is, is it the way that he's delivering it? Is it the way the character's written? I'm not sure, because there's something about him that I have a lot of compassion for. Me too, me too. Even though he is this, you know, for the most part, like you said, a simple side character who shouldn't really be getting much of our attention you know i mean there's plenty of other storylines where we've had people be you know hiring a hitman that's happened in plenty of stories and guess what we don't get to know much about the hitman you know we right. don't really care much about them so the fact that it turns out that he's a human that makes mistakes and gets caught up in the moment and does things that he regrets you know he's not just this hardened criminal he is someone who who is literally trying to do the right thing here you know what do you think is it the way it's written or is it robert lord taylor 
What do you think we're getting? I, I don't know, but I think what we're getting is what we're getting, and that's what I'm judging. I mean, they're they're giving us a character that is not a just one-dimensional hitman. Nick is a guy who I'm I increasingly thinking is more custy than his reputation maybe leads us to believe. It's because of that puppy dog face when he does push him and he realizes he hurt Zach. That was the whole moment for me where everything turned. For me. I don't think he gave a shit about hurting Zach. I think he gave a shit about his lack of impulse control knowing he just fucked up because he's on parole and if he yes. doesn't have this job he goes back to jail i don't think he cared about zach one way or another i think he okay but you know what i mean like just generally speaking he regretted his decision which again i mean how many shows have you and i watched where from sopranos to anything else where you don't get regrets i mean you just get it happens that person is so angry they're rage filled and right. they just keep moving right but you don't get that pause of the person saying fuck 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 right you know no, I shouldn't have done that. Right, exactly. He, his rage is is self-contained and uh and and very momentary. It's not like he didn't he grabbed a he, much like Allison, he grabbed a bottle and went to his apartment to drink kind of thing. <laughs> right. He should wouldn't it be so funny if they had him sitting in his bathtub? Well, I mean, we don't know. I mean, which leads to the question is who's his phone a friend? Because we don't know after he hangs up the phone saying, you know, we have to leave tonight. You know, we don't know that he didn't go into his bathtub with his bottle of hooch. Super good question, Mike. And I want to delve into that for just a second because this is the type of show that, for the most part, stays within our club, right? Like, we only get, like, that, you know, the patty, extra two patty whatever guy, you know, for, like, a millisecond. But, like, for the most part, it feels like we're going to stay within the group of people we already have met. So who in the world could he have called? Who could he have called? I agree with you. I want to know because there's no reason to have that scene of dialogue unless it's someone that we already know in the show. That's the only reason why it's impactful, right? We don't need to have that phone call at all. Like, So I'm like, okay, who is this? Who makes any sense? The only person that we had that was this unnamed stuff, of course, is the intruder, right? Right. So we have the intruder, and the only nugget we get about the intruder was that he was on the same hockey team as Neil. That's our right. only little nugget about the intruder. And I'm even saying, you know, I'm saying it's he and all that stuff, but, mm, you know, like, we don't know, really, right? My gut reaction was it was his significant other, man or woman, whatever that whatever that may look like. That's who he's talking to on the phone. We have to leave. Uh, we're, we're fleeing tonight. I got the impression because if a friend, you know, he's not, we haven't seen any indication that he's bringing a friend to do the murder. And he doesn't say, I mean, when he looked, when he cocks the gun kind of thing, he says, I have something to take care of. It's not like meet me here at the, at the McRoberts house. We have to go, we have to go do this now. It's, I have something to take care of. So he's planning on leaving town with someone on an earlier schedule so he's not just blowing out of town. He's letting this person know we're leaving together sooner than we thought. I just have one thing to do. That speaks like a significant other who has signed, you know, his Bonnie to his Clyde, has who has signed on with this flea plan 
and he's letting know we're moving up the timetable. I got no one though. I'm like, I'm going down my list of people in my head. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking like, who are the little small people who like we kind of forgot about? Jen. You know, Jen. I like Jen. I, I mean, honestly, I was like really going down the people of like, okay, do we have like the librarian, the makeup people, the like, who do we have that's like come up like multiple times? I mean, could it, could it be one of the makeup bitches? I mean, we certainly saw them in a recurring way, but we haven't seen them for episodes. And they seem a little maybe too highbrow for a Nick. You know, but why see them so many times and all that? You know, I don't know. I just, I want to put that on our little bulletin board of like, I don't know. It's going to be someone already on our radar. And you know what? I'm going to throw out this too. Because of COVID times, I'm throwing out the idea that we've kept a small cast and we've kept them like this is the group of people it's going to be. And so to me, I feel like, all right, we've got these COVID rules, too. I feel like it could very much be someone we already met. There's no reason, unless it's someone that we would have met, unless it's going to be a third act twist, there's no reason to have that conversation. Nick's world and what he does after, despite Allison asking him, what are you going to do after? And he says, I'm going to haul ass out of your house. And she's like, no, 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 with the money. I love that whole scene. You know, you know, you can get pretty far with the $7,000. And he's like, not far enough. Again, some, coming from someone with Robin Lord Taylor's skill, that line has so much weight to it. But I don't even know if it's supposed to have so much weight to it or if he's just annoyed at having to deal with Allison. But damn it, that's the other thing. I can't figure out if Robin Lord Taylor is delivering it so hardcore that it's making these lines and this character who maybe we're not supposed to be putting so much interest in but he's got us, you know? But here's the thing, though. You don't hire Robin Lord Taylor to do this relatively small role of Nick unless you're supposed to be taking complex waves away from it that are leaving you wondering what's really going on. He's – this is – it's not like this part screams Robin Lord Taylor. It doesn't have to, but you go get someone with his with his talent – to give gravitas and weight and depth and dimension to a small character who has to do a lot with a little in a little amount of time because you want that character to come off with a lot of depth and dimension and have you asking what is this guy's deal I agree with you but only I agree with you but only to a point because then because there are plenty of people and you've probably seen this more on Broadway than anywhere else where someone is given, you know, the whole like there's no small parts to small actors. It's like one of those things like well maybe and again maybe because of COVID, maybe because of, you know, the opportunities were limited, maybe they got a better caliber actor than maybe the part really required. And we're giving it a lot of meaning because they had such a great actor in the role. But there's like, you know, complicating factors there with, you know, limited roles out there right now. So I'm curious, really, what the intent was of the creator. That's certainly possible. But if you look like IMDb to IMDb, Robin Lord Taylor probably has more significant television credits than the rest of the core cast other than Annie Murphy, like, combined. A thousand percent. And so what I'm saying is like, and they got him. So not sure if that's because the role is so wild or if that's because this is what's available during COVID. Maybe, maybe. I, my, my instinct is, having watched a lot of television, is you, you, you get someone uh, of this caliber because you want him to have an impact, even though you can't allot a lot of screen time to him. So every single time he's on the screen, he's popping and making you think, 
what what is going on with this guy. Uh, but that brings it that doesn't really answer the question of who is his phone a friend. I think the phone a friend is probably not going to be significant to the overall story, but I think it's going to be a significant thing as far as like a third act twist and reveal goes. Like, oh man, we really don't know what's going on in some of these people's lives. That's why Jen was interesting to me. Jen is interesting, but I but I'm even going with one of those makeup people because mainly because of how. Nick, as a character, showed up in the background of the liquor store. It's like if we paid attention to the background actors, maybe his partner in crime. And wouldn't it be kind of funny if, like, one of the, like, kind of uppity, snooty makeup women turns out to really be hanging out with the thug guy? Like, you know, that would kind of be like, see, you thought you knew her, but maybe you didn't. And Jen's the exact same way, though. Like, see, you thought you knew her, but maybe you didn't. It also kind of goes towards this whole eddie haskell thing that nick has going in this series where you could see jen you know coming maybe from an upper crust family uh with new york sports interests that maybe she sees a side of nick that we haven't seen but maybe he puts on for her benefit or maybe maybe not so much that he's high crust but maybe he is uh, a bad boy enough for her to rebel against right because sam on paper seems in the mold of someone that her family would approve of, even if they don't necessarily approve of Sam, he seems to be made of the kind of stuff. I, I dare say waspy, waspy parents that Jen is that what the show presents us with in this episode. You can see why Sam would have been someone that they approved of. Uh, okay, definitely in comparison. I mean, obviously Sam is going to be more presentable. But here's the thing. In theory, Sam was an alcoholic and kind of a mess whenever him and Jen kind of found each other because they were trying to make that all sound like it was roughly the same timing. That like somehow he went to Jen and she was like pissed and like the Kevin-Jen whole hookup everything was happening roughly the same time. So I think it's going to turn out that Sam and Jen were also very young and – you know, that this was almost some sort of just vindictive kind of biz, you know, going back and forth at each other with this, which is crazy if they got married <laughs> to do that. Can I tell you one aspect of Allison's character Please. that I really don't like? Of course. It comes up early on in the episode when she asks him about his plans and he says something along the lines of in the flea town as soon as his parole is up and she says tell me about it like like she's trying to identify with him like her life is the same as being on parole now obviously allison's life is difficult but it is so tone deaf to me for her to make this comparison here it it, it irked me in a way not that she was not that you know, her life isn't like a jail sentence that she has to be on her best behavior for an x amount of years before her quote-unquote parole is up but just the idea that like she's trying she's trying to make an inroad or a connection to this guy still and she's doing it this way and he gives her the exact appropriate look that i would expect someone to give if they were trying to compare their lives to mine you know what i mean mm-hmm well, and our, our custody word feels feels right in that situation where she's trying to act like she knows what's up. She knows the life of a parole person. Like, come on. But here's the thing. Allison Thug Life McRoberts. You know, just like when you said that, though, do you know who popped to my brain as who Nick could have possibly called? The mechanic guy. Ooh, because I like he him. played so much at the beginning and was so like twisted into Allison. 
just in this weird closed circle of tit for tat. Remember we kept saying, why would they keep going back back and forth for this tit for tat? And at what point is Allison going to finally sort of one up him, if you will, where like he can't strike back? The mechanic is a great choice for a couple of things, uh, you know, roles to fill here, including phone a friend. The only issue I have with the phone a friend is the mechanic is the one who ratted out the pill operation up the chain, which directly and negatively impacted Nick, which seems problematic for the mechanic to be walking that line if he's also good enough friends or significant other of Nick uh, to have done. But but he is him and Allison are like cut from the same cloth. So he did that to screw over Allison. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I should say it like this, too. Really, he did it to get the heat off of his own back because Allison put the spotlight on him as the drug dealer. So then he puts the spotlight on somebody else. They just down the dominoes fall, you know, and yes, it had unintended consequences. But that's the Allison mechanic dynamic is like we just constantly have these unintended consequences of screwing over people we didn't mean to screw over. And mechanic dynamic is a fun phrase. To Mechan- say. Mechanic dynamic. That There you go. <laughs> I love the idea of it being him, though, kind of, don't you? Like whether or not they're like together as a couple or whether or not they're just partners in crime or whatever. I mean, it really seems like there could be something there. Well, I mean, it has a really nice full service drug operation feel to it, right? The mechanic handles the Coke. Nick handles the Oxy pills. Together, they covered the distribution network for this town. So there is a nice, like, carving up of the town about that. And we haven't seen the mechanic. And it did feel a little bit left undone. It did. It felt like dangly, didn't it? It did, because the last time we see him, right, he's in the back of the squad car with Tammy and her partner. That's the last time we see the mechanic. So it does feel unfinished. But again, like the makeup girls, really came into the episodes a lot at the beginning, even more so and much more significantly than the makeup girls, but then haven't been seen in the back back. But isn't that our Chekhov's gun game where you you show it early on and you've always known who the other characters were, but you forget about them. We show you enough that went on between now and then that you forget about them so that it is the third act surprise. I'm for it, man. Put it on the bulletin board. Click, click, click. It's one of it's, I, I like the it. mechanic because, man, those tit-for-tat back and forth, that it turns out that Allison basically screwed something else up that had to do with the mechanic. Oh, that just feels so right. I think we are naturally at the point of asking who is the person in the house? Who is the unnamed intruder and who got shot? Is it Kevin shooting the intruder or is it the intruder shooting Kevin or is it just a gun going off and no one is shot? Okay, so I do think that someone got shot. I think that it's Kevin that does the shooting. I do not think that Kevin was injured. When we got in the previous Mighty Moo eating contest, the police officer saying you get a a get out of jail free card to Kevin. To me, shooting a home invader, whether that would have been more questioned in Massachusetts, I think it would be here in Texas where I am, not so much. I think that that get out of jail free card was important and we had put that on our bulletin board and I think it's going to come back to save Kevin and that he's not going to be charged and they're going to let him off like as he's a good guy kind of situation, which is you know, the ultimate to to Allison, because obviously, you know, he could be charged and he could be put away and and it would be like, okay, he went away for murder. You know, now you don't even have to do anything else. But no, I think that that get out of jail card is going to be there. The intruder, more sketchy. I mean, I don't want it to be Robin Lord Taylor because I still want him to be around. 
So I don't want it to be him. He's obviously the the most obvious choice. I've seen a lot of people say, could it be Sam? Because the last time we saw Sam, he was stalking out of the door and we don't know where he was going. Although Bev's Diner seems like the most logical place. But maybe he did go to Allison's house. I mean, he was jilted. Maybe he was drunk. You know, maybe he goes over there and decides he's going to like say something to her or whatever. I don't know. But he seems like the least likely to me. I agree. I think Kevin is the shooter, not the shooty. Uh, I think the show gives some really nice context clues to that because when she's rehearsing with Patty, she's referring to Kevin in the past tense when she's actually in the interrogation. Whenever she refers to Kevin, it's either in the present tense or in no tense at all. It it goes from he was my husband to I am his wife. Uh, it is, uh, you know, everybody loves Kevin, not everybody loved Kevin. Uh, all, all of the tense usage is very present and or not specified, whereas in the back when she was getting ready to talk about it, she very intentionally was talking about Kevin in the past tense. So I think the show, again, just being really smart with its writing, was was teasing us, was telling us, was, was bright lining to us that Kevin is alive. So I don't think, I think Kevin is the shooter. I am of one of those people who is attracted to the Sam idea because... I don't want it to be Nick, same as you, because I actually kind of like I actually kind of like the character. I'm interested in the character of anything else, even if it's not really that I like him. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by him, and I don't really want to be done with him. And I think it's too obvious. I think this show has done a good job of avoiding the obvious. That seems like the obvious door you're supposed to take, so that's why I don't want to take it. Sam is interesting to me because he's jilted, because he's pissed off, because he's a recovering alcoholic who maybe then goes on a bender, especially in light of him being condescending in his tone to Allison about not drinking away your problems. It seems it seems like the vibe of the show that he would then himself, you know, doctor heal thyself, you know, not take his own medicine uh, and, and in fact go get drunk. And when you're drunk... And, you know, recovering alcoholics who go off the wagon, they just don't have a, a malt liquor. You know, they don't have a, a, a what is it? A, they don't have a Zima. You know, they they, <laughs> right. they they go get fucking trashed. When you get fucking trashed, maybe you find yourself wandering into the house of the woman who you're mildly obsessed with now to either have a word with her or the husband who she has left you for. All of that seems very possible to me. And seems like interesting television to me. So I like the Sam aspect of it. You have piqued my interest with the mechanic. It's less impactful to be the mechanic, honestly. I mean, obviously, it's most impactful to be Sam because of unintended consequences. The constant, the huge theme of you thought you knew what you were doing. And even to the point of breaking up with him, you thought you knew what you were doing. And the whole and the other theme of dragging people in against their wishes. And also, if it was the mechanic, it would only be the mechanic or someone related to Nick if Nick was was contracting out this hit. But he very clearly, talking to his unnamed phone-a-friend, says, I have something to take care of as he cocks his gun. And so I think the mechanic is off the board as the person in the house because it has. if it's someone related to doing the murder of Kevin, 
Mm-hmm. It only has to be Nick because they've given no indication that he has subcontracted it out to someone else. And not, and on top of that, we see him specifically say, I have something to do. So yeah. it has to really be Nick or someone else. And the or only Sam, other, I feel like. <laughs> or, or the only other someone else is Sam. And for me, Sam is the more interesting TV choice. Um, and, and the less obvious choice. And we finished a lot more of his story. Like, we yeah. went home with him. We saw his wife. We saw his in-laws. We saw his home life. Why did they do that in this episode unless his storyline is coming to an end? And here's the thing. We don't know necessarily that the person who gets shot is dead. Nope. They could just be, you know, paralyzed or something horrible. You know, like, we don't know. So there's, I mean, I don't get the idea that Kevin's like a crack shot. You know, this isn't even his gun or anything. So... Man, I got to tell you, though, Mike, when that gun did reveal itself and we knew that it would, I felt very comfortable. And we kind of talked about this a little bit more after Patty had it. And we were like, oh, man, I just don't know when she said she's going to bury it in the yard. They have done such a good job of the of doing the breadcrumbs. I do feel like this is one of those ones where if we look back and I encourage all of our listeners to do this and I'll try to go do this. I hope you do, too, Mike. The background set decor has mattered And if you paid attention to different activities that they were doing at different times, I wonder if we could look around, like, say, Robin Lord Taylor's space and see, is there any hockey paraphernalia? Is there anything that would indicate that he was on a team with Neil? Is there any picture in the background somewhere? Even in Sam's house, we only got like a nugget. Or looking back at Bev's diner, was there any bit of something that could tie back to that one nugget we have about the intruder that they were on a hockey team did anyone show anything anywhere that would imply that was there a little tattoo we missed was there a little something i don't know but this is the type of show that i think they would give you the breadcrumbs to be able to solve the mystery before you were told now we've gotten actually several looks at nick's place I know. Again, unnecessary, right? Unless you're supposed to be looking behind him. Right. So that is an interesting thing. Definitely worth doing. The intruder being Sam is interesting to me also because I think it maybe gives a layer of explanation as to why Tammy and her partner are kind of being or kind of treating Allison here. Maybe not kind of. Maybe they're they're straight out treating her like a perp like like someone who is a subject of an investigation because this is despite tammy saying i'm your friend here employing some of those interrogation techniques that she shows that she teaches to neil uh you know tammy is interrogating allison here uh and and tammy maybe has an extra grind with allison to begin with so your your diner boss breaks into your house in the middle of the night is sketchy Yeah, it's a way more complicated break-in than just a guy on parole breaks into the house. There's less comforting being done, like, oh, God, you were a part of a house break-in. There's, You're right. There's more like, this is suspicious and very bizarre. Right. This is suspicious and suspicious towards you, Allison, the attractive, which we know Tammy finds her attractive, right? Because she brings it up towards Patty. Um, you, You attractive wife of schlubby Kevin... Your, uh, your boss breaks into your house in the middle of the night. That is suspicious towards you on top of Sam breaking into your house. Why? Bosses don't normally break into the homes of their employees in the middle of the night unless there is an ulterior motive 
it would seem. So what do you have to hide, Allison? What are you not telling us that we need to know? And by the way, we'll definitely find out. Because just like the gun, <laughs> nothing stays buried forever. <laughs> so, And just to be super fair, too, I mean, obviously, Tammy has some bad vibes about Allison because she soured at her date with Patty. She did. So, you know, there's already some, you know, like, mm, and that was mentioned once again, yes. you know, when they're getting ready to, to have that moment, which I definitely want to talk about the Tammy and, and Patty date because I have a lot of questions to you. But when they're standing outside and, and there's a question mark about whether or not they should go in or if it's okay, whatever, Allison's brought up again. So it's not like Allison's outside of Tammy's mind, you know? Right. No, no. She's very much on the forefront of her mind and and is asking Patty questions about Allison in the same way that if you look back on our bulletin board with all of our stickies, you know, she's asking questions about to Patty about Allison in the way that you and I have maybe been been asking or been wondering about questions about Patty and Allison. So interesting. Tammy's picking up on the same thing that that we were also uh, about these two and their relationship. So I think I think that's interesting because Tammy is a, is a bulldog and doesn't miss things and doesn't let things drop and doesn't let things go and she she seems to notice everything and I like that about Tammy. I think it I think it makes her an effective detective. An effective detective and a mechanic dynamic. Oh my goodness. I, we're poets, we don't <laughs> even know it. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Let's get into a bulldog's Great idea of a date. Is it painting with with a sip? <laughs> I I uh, sip and paint is the last date I would come up with for either Patty and or Tammy. I think it is hysterical that they are there. I've done sip and paint. I don't know if you've ever done the sip and paint. Oh yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't actually. That's, let me take that back. I haven't done a sip and paint. I have worked at a sip and paint because I used to be a member of the, the local Elks, and the local Elks used to host a monthly sip and paint. And so I had worked the bar a couple times at a sip and paint. So I've been there. I've witnessed it. I've seen these women in action. Patty and Tammy are not the women who go to sip and paint, especially not for dates. What did ring true to me was Tammy throwing this out here as a date and then having a huge sigh of relief when Patty acknowledges that she's also miserable. Or it's just small town and like there's like five options. You know, we can go to the movies, we can sip and paint, we can go to a work function, we can Netflix and chill. Like there's very few options. And so I appreciated that it was like, this is just one of those things. It's just it's just obligatory. We got to get through the date where we paint something. Uh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I like the fact that they settle upon just getting drunk on the free wine that's there. I mean, and whatever. And they call it wedding wedding wine. I was like really laughing at that. (laughs) It's like that two buck chuck. (laughs) Uh, What did you think when they're walking down the street afterwards? uh, Tammy critiques Patty's painting and says, I can sense your anger at the sunset. Now, I think for most people that would come off as a really aggressive thing to say to a woman that you're in a new relationship with. I could see your anger at the sunset. But... Patty, you know, acknowledges it and plays with it. And and in a way, it showed me Tammy really gets Patty. Maybe Patty, Tammy may understand Patty in a way that Patty maybe doesn't even understand herself. Mm, that's deep. Uh, yeah, a smart writing on the show's part. Again, a throwaway line that could have been, you know, easily just missed or moved on from. But I caught it and I was like, well, Tammy, either Tammy understands Patty or at least Tammy really thinks she understands Patty. So I don't know if you I don't know if you vibed on that. I don't know what your general feeling is about Tammy and how she is acting, because I think she's a little bit of a a detective 
towards Patty. I'm curious. I'm curious your feelings. Well, when she said, I mean, the other throwaway line you could have said was from the previous episode when she says, or we could talk about childhood trauma. Like she seems to be hitting the nail on the head when it comes with Patty and like what her backstory is. Now, here's the thing. She is a detective and you and I know from various other TV shows that, you know, why wouldn't she have Facebook trolled her or like peeped around or asked questions or like whenever, like she could have easily know. I mean, she would easily know that the parents were out of the picture, certainly that the mother had died, you know, and things like that. So it's like, she could have known little nugs here that she's like throwing into the conversation. And that wouldn't be crazy to me, but here's the thing that I have to talk about. I did not like one bit Tammy's pressure to go inside. No. I really think that that was like one of those moments where it's like you may not know when you're being a Kevin and we're using that in the like you're acting inappropriately to a a situation. I really thought that her guilting Patty by saying like, well, obviously, you know, if it's the right one, you would know it should be easy. Now, first of all, who has said that falling in love is easy for everyone? Right. You know, I mean, for some people it happens and they didn't mean for it to happen. Or like for her own self, when she says it's embarrassing, I'm 33 and I'm still trying to figure it out. It's embarrassing that I don't know how I feel about things. I really thought Tammy was super out of line. Let's play the clip so people know exactly what we're talking about here. This is all just happening kind of fast. And I haven't been able to get my head around it. What's to get your head around? We like each other. Yeah. And that's new for me. Is it? Come on, you're telling me I'm the first woman you've ever had feelings for? Guess so. Yeah, yes. You didn't grow up looking twice at the Morton Salt Girl or Joe from Facts of Life? What? No. Are you much older than me? What about your nosy-ass neighbor from the bar the other night? Okay, now you don't know what you're talking about, so you should just stop. I'm not trying to piss you off. I'm just trying to show you that it's not a big deal. Maybe it is. I have cable, okay? I know we're all fine with everything now. But maybe if you're 33 and still figuring things out, it's... It's embarrassing. Can you please just let it be hard? Can't that be okay? If it's the right person, if I'm the right person, I think it's supposed to be easy. There's a lot going on there. Now, I agree with Tammy. I think that what's the wrap your head around? We like each other. It. I think that part is easy. And Patty agrees with her. She says, yeah, it's not a question of that. It's everything else related to getting into a relationship when I am when you are 33 and you are just discovering your sexuality and discovering yourself. That's fucking complicated, Tammy. I I don't know what else to tell you. You know, most people don't wake up ready to live a different life than they had lived for the previous 33 years. Well, and the other part of that, too, is it shouldn't be Patty's decision when you meet her family and on what terms like those types of things like. In the whole thing, the entire thing, I don't care if they were six months into a relationship or a year into the relationship. If she going inside meant things were going to get physical 
If she didn't feel like doing that that night, she shouldn't have to give any excuses. Tammy should accept a no thank yes. you. And that should have been the end of the conversation. And right. I actually give Hattie a ton of credit for giving a lot more information and being a lot more open Vulnerable. than I really thought she had to be. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, honestly, she was saying, like, this is hard for me and I'm embarrassed. These are very just opening yourself up type of words that I, I'm sad that that. Tammy didn't accept the fact that like, hey, you are having an intimate moment right now and you're pushing for a different intimate moment and you you really are not even listening that like this person is 100% opening up and that does make it seem like you're more the right person. It's, a, it's I mean, not to be gendered about it, but it's a very stereotypical male kind of way that you would see especially in like a movie right you you got a girl you're in a car you're maybe you're out at like you know make out point or whatever the fuck it's called you know she starts to push back and she's like oh i don't know if i'm ready about this and the guy will say something like oh don't you like me baby it's easy come on we love each other just do it just do it that's like a, like a, it's like a peer pressure it's a it's a tactic to browbeat your partner who is stating that they are not sure into doing what you want it's a real fucking kevin move it's a really gross manipulation of emotion and power and it threatens ending the relationship saying if i was the right person you'd be ready to be with me right and that is so ugly i mean that is the total epitome of how a lot of girls end up giving in because they don't want to lose the partner and so they're like, well, even though I'm not ready, there's like this thought that like if I mean, the real line is if you loved me, you would do this. It would be I easy. Mean, if I was the yes. right person, it would be. easy. I mean, mm. if you loved me, we'd have sex. Like, I mean, that's right. yeah. the line yeah. that you see in every after school yeah. special. So I really thought that it was like, man, this is a really uh, unattractive side of Tammy that I'm I'm sad that she did this. Yeah, it, it was a very unattractive side to her. I felt it was very unfair to put Patty in that position because she knows Patty is new to all of this. I thought that was pretty clear. The broaden your horizons comment. What happened right. to that? Right. The same woman who said broaden your horizons just the other night wouldn't be acting like this, though. It was a very aggressive quote, and I'm using guy here. It's a very aggressive guy move for her to make. The, this, the, the idea of if I was the right person, it would be easy. All that shows me is Tammy is not listening to anything Patty's actually saying. Mm-hmm. She just said, it's, I'm 33 and it's embarrassing. It broke my heart for her to have to say that out loud. Like, I felt indecent watching her have to <laughs> yeah. be so vulnerable, you know? Like, I felt bad for this fictional character. And Tammy is just like, well, you know what? If, if I was really the right person for you... It would be easy. And, you know, it's also a party foul for her to bring Allison into this. Now, she doesn't know anything about Allison and Patty and their relationship other than they went to the bathroom, they came back, and Patty was in a bad mood. But you know what? She kissed you that night, Tammy. She went out on this date with you to stupid sip and paint tonight. She's not the one talking about Allison. You're the one talking about Allison. All all she knows is she's a neighbor and, and presumably a friend. Party foul on Tammy for throwing that and for throwing Allison in her face. Especially because, like, let's just take it a step further. Let's say that Tammy was totally right and Allison was unrequited love and or an ex. Would that have been a good thing to throw in her face in that moment? Is that the right, you know, like, what kind of bullshit are you throwing here, Tammy? Like, that is ugly. And I want to go back to the whole, she was trying to argue with her about Neil. 
and saying like, well, you know, who cares? Neil's not going to figure it out, blah, blah, blah. Okay, hold up. This is my family, and it's the only family <laughs> yeah. I have. I thought that was and, really nasty. And it, it kind of, I mean, it, it very well paralleled the Sam's thing. Like, it's one thing she can say, Patty can say Neil's not smart, but Tammy needs to slow her roll about saying rude things about Neil. It's the only family Patty has, and she gets to decide when she brings someone home and introduces to Neil. Like, th- that's not okay. As proud as I was of Patty in this whole scene and for sticking to her guns and for being honest and open and vulnerable about her feelings, I was a little sad that she didn't stick up for Neil in the same way that Jen got upset on behalf of her parents. I kind of wanted Patty to be like, hey, back the fuck up. Like, I'm allowed to call my brother simple. You're not allowed to. <laughs> well, she didn't pile on. And maybe no, that's, that's as true. good as, as Patty gets that's in terms true. of like sticking up for Neil. She didn't say, yeah, Neil's an idiot, which would be her like go to line. Right. I just I really I was super, super sad about this entire portion. And I'm actually going to back up on what you said when you when when you said the part that it's a it's a guy move. I'm actually learning in this moment. I'm, I'm really feeling like my eyes are super open. It, it's not a guy move. Women intimidate other women all the time, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a romantic way. But I think that women get a pass on being intimidating, again, because the message is not is coming in a different form. I mean, I'm having a moment of being like, no, wait, hold on a second. And, and I'm even saying that I'm, I'm an intimidating woman and can be an intimidating woman. So in that case, I'm like, hang on. I know we're just using the the terminology of being a Kevin and that is gender specific, but being intimidating and being assertive and and forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do or trying to embarrass them or guilt them into doing it. That's not a guy girl thing. And and I, I think that if people kind of wrap their head around that, some people might actually have a moment here where they're believed in their own situation by other people better. Does that make sense? Like maybe they're talking about a partner to someone right now and they're saying, what are you talking about? You know, She's a woman. She she can't be like strong arming you into something. You know, like there could be something of that that like maybe the show's like doing someone justice here by shedding light on like, no, you could be forced and be and be intimidated by a woman just as much as a man. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And and we've said from the beginning too, this show is not about genders. It's about roles people take in relationships vis-a-vis other people in relationships. The roles that we take and the roles that we are given and the roles that we play. And it's not about gender. It's about identifying the good and bad parts within all of our personalities. Uh, Just to lighten the mood for a second, I went and looked at the Morton Salt girl, because I use Morton Salt here in, in my home. And my recollection was there's nothing particularly attractive about her. Uh, and then I looked at the bottle, and it's it's just like a young girl in like a yellow like rain slicker. I thought that was a weird shout out. I, I I don't know if that's a thing that people in their adolescence are attracted to the Morton Salt girl. I thought that was weird. I found the Joe comment much funnier from Facts of Life, right? The the Nancy McKean. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, she she was always the quote unquote butch one, right? Of her and uh, Blair, uh, though I think. In my adolescence, I think I probably would have been more of a Blair stan sexually than Joe. I don't know, but I never found any of them particularly attractive. And I was a big fan of Packs of Life uh, growing up. I watched all the episodes. I mainly liked it that when Patty said, are you much older than I am? There is delivery there is the single funniest line delivery in the show, I think. And to to speak to the the Morton Salt girl, she's wearing a very short 
little dress. And so if she's you... She's so young, though. Yeah, but, but she's not saying as a 33-year-old girl. She said oh, yeah. growing up, didn't I you guess. ever take a second look at a girl in a short skirt? I guess. I mean, I guess, that's guess, essentially the thing. And so, yeah. and it's just something in your home, like that everybody would have that maybe you looked at it and it sort of like Stirred said you. something to yourself. Yeah, mm. without it meaning to, you know, it yeah, wasn't yeah, no, o- for sure. overtly sexual, but it stirred something in you and maybe that gave you some clues. Sure. It's like accidentally finding the shower head or... Uh, oh my, okay. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> or, or the dryer settings on your dryer. Uh, it's you the a, washing machine, but yeah. yeah. Giving you a rumbly on your tumbly. Again, this, this episode really flipped on its head all of these characters that are circling Allison and Patty, while at the same time not really changing how I feel about Patty and Allison. Like, I still feel confident in how I feel about these two, but everyone else, I'm looking through like a different lens. Tammy, Sam, Kevin. Let's talk about this for a second, because... Coming off of the Tammy situation, we have Patty going over and getting in the bathtub with Allison. And Allison and her relationship does get much closer in that moment. There is that mutual destruction part drops and they're like, I actually came looking for you because I wanted to talk to you. This wasn't just like, I'm trying to get away from the guys kind of thing. And I mean, when Allison puts her head on Patty's shoulder and Patty gets that pretty worried look on their face... I mean, what were you reading into that? This was the culmination of the vibe I had weeks ago about it. For me, Patty runs to Tammy's door after that and says, you're the right person, you, because she's terrified of her feelings for Allison. It felt like a Kurt double down, didn't it? It felt like a Kurt double down. Now, I know there is a take here, and maybe it's the right take that Patty hears Allison say, maybe we'll die alone together, that scares Patty into action and makes her realize that Tammy is the one, that she doesn't want to die alone with or without Allison. She doesn't want to die alone, that she wants to die with a person she loves. And, And so she goes to Tammy's house and says, you're the right person, you. Not out of fear of her feelings for Allison, but for fear of not being, for being alone. And I think that's a fine take. For me, though, taking the show as a whole, taking what Tammy is picking up. Like, yes, I said, I just said minutes ago, it was nasty of her to throw Allison in in Patty's face. But I think Tammy is also picking up something there, the way people who are attuned to senses and vibes in people and, and energy between people. She's picking up something that we're also picking up here as an audience, that there is something here. There is a, an attraction of some level here between Patty and Allison. For me, that's why she runs to Tammy. It's because she's terrified at admitting this darkest and secret of secrets. She didn't notice the Morton Salt Girl. She didn't notice Joe from Packs of Life. Patty noticed Allison growing up. Allison is the one who gave her the stirring her whole life. That's what that move is. That's what that whole scene and that look is for me. Uh, Knowing and Patty knowing Allison doesn't mean it the same way. Allison means it platonically. Patty is being confronted with her darkest secret that we know she's embarrassed of. She just said she's embarrassed of, of these feelings and not knowing how to deal with them. Maybe not embarrassed of the feelings, but embarrassed of not knowing how to deal with them and how to process them. Everything she does there is in reaction to and running from the fear. 
Uh, what was your take on it? And then I want to play maybe the sweetest line that I've heard in the show. But I, I want I want your take on that head on the shoulder scene. For me, it it also added that element of this is well past the mutual destruction phase. Like we are legitimately invested in one another and our future, and and we plan to move together into our future somehow. And of course, like you said, it's in different ways, but. There's something there that, like, we're bonded together in a completely different way. Uh, I want to play this clip. You tell me how this uh, hit you because it went right to my feels. I'm broken. And before all this, you were the picture of perfection. Please. <laughs> Thank you. No. I mean, I couldn't stand being around you before. You had the presence of like a pointy houseplant, but a naggy one, a naggy ficus. Is this you being nice? I mean, I came up here looking for you, not because things were going to shit and I had to talk to you, but because I wanted to. I'm just, I'm saying, if this is you broken, if this is you broken, stay broken. If this is you broken, stay broken is about the sweetest thing I think I've ever heard. It it absolutely cut right into me. And it's taking those same words, the same moment that she was having with Sam of him saying, when did you become broken and turning it so completely on its head? You know, like what an amazing turn of events to have somebody who really accepts you and isn't trying to make you someone who you're not right. and and just says like if this is you live you you know don't don't be anything else and maybe don't be embarrassed of being quote unquote broken because whatever you thought you were before whatever everyone thought was the way to be whole turns out you weren't so stay right. broken stay woke if you will you know right. stay looking around you know it's interesting to listen to that comment especially if you play Sam's words when did you get so broken right before it? Because the juxtaposition is clear. Sam fell in love with this naggy ficus version of Allison, right? Sam fell in love uh, with the Allison that Patty is saying, I couldn't stand to be around you when you were that person. This version of you, if this is what you are broken, this is the version of you that me, me who has known you through all of the versions of you, me who has known you and watched you from afar and watched you up close for all of these 15 plus years, this is the you that I want you to be. This is the you that feels the rightest to me. I think that's a really powerful statement, especially for, I think it's really important for Allison to hear coming off of her interactions with Sam. It's such unconditional love. It's such people are, I think, going to hit on the word broken and think, well, no one wants to live their life broken. But Mm. I think that if you take the word broken and you instead think about it more in terms of a crack in the armor, not trying to hide behind this wall anymore, but instead breaking out of your shell, breaking out of where you are, that's broken too. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be exciting. It can be like a rebirth situation. There's so much truth and honesty going on in this bathtub scene, in this bathroom scene. I want to back up actually just a couple of minutes in the scene when they're talking about... Well, Allison's talking about why all of a sudden she's crying and she can't stop crying and she hasn't cried for 10 years 
and then and then she transitions to you know the fact that she doesn't even she's not even going to be able to have kids because she's all dried up she has this line she says to patty that really really made me stop because it just sounds so harsh but at the same time i really can't fault her either so let's listen to this and then i want to talk about the scene and i'm basically all dried up down there so i can't even have kids to guilt into loving me what do you even want kids of course it's what you do i just don't want heavens woof I mean, uh, to say, the, I mean, obviously, first, have you as 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 a woman? Uh, yes, I, I think mean, you're. I think you're supposed to say as a person with a uterus in this particular case. If you're going to ask about a child, as a, as a as a pro uterine user, mm-hmm. um, uh, did you ever feel this idea of? Of course, I want kids. It's what you do. She doesn't say I want kids because I want kids. She says, "Of course, I want kids. It's what you do." Oh, one thousand percent. This yeah. idea is crazy to me. Okay, because maybe it's because I'm a guy. Maybe it's because I grew up in New York. Whatever it is, never in my life ever did anyone ever make me feel like, "All right, you've reached a point in your life. You need to have kids." It's never come up. It's, wow. never, been a, it's never been a thing in my life. <laughs> you know, well, I that's have... it. That's the one eighty existence of mine. Like, uh, I was definitely one hundred percent supposed to have kids. 100% without a doubt. And I would say that because of a variety of I did I mean, I'm I am a teacher by trade. And so my background is definitely, you know, enjoying kids and stuff like that. And so the idea of having kids was, you know, always a part of who I am. But I definitely think I was groomed to want that and think that and believe that's my goal. That is what I should be doing. What an interesting and explosive word to use. And I know and and it it's that's a powerful word to use, groomed into feeling that way. Given- oh, 100%. 100%. That's- it's, it's, it's the whole, you know, little boys get Fisher-Price tool set and girls get the kitchen. I mean, you're groomed at a very early age to, to want certain things. I mean, my little brother badly wanted a stroller for his doll. And, <laughs> and here's Hi, the thing. Hi, Adam. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. But my parents couldn't handle that, right? And so they got him a popple, if you remember popples, and a shopping cart. Because men can push baby shopping carts. Sure. Men don't push strollers. Which is wild because then now as like an adult, you know, you want to be like, well, you have a little kid now. You should be pushing the stroller too. But you spent years telling him he can't push a stroller. He can only push the grocery cart. And so it's like, I mean, what do we do to our kids? And how many, how many husbands must you know who frown at the idea of, of a little boy with taking care of a, of a baby doll, which is silly. I know you kind of laughed just now. But the thing is that you're just teaching parenting. If you want your little boy to be a parent the same as you want your girl to be a parent, then why would you in any way ever shy away from a little boy diapering a baby? Because then when you get adult men and then people say, oh, and you won't even change a diaper, well... You told him for years he can't do that and he's not allowed to do that and everyone's going to judge him if he does that. Right. Well, It's I, a grooming I, I, thing. It's a grooming thing for sure. And I laughed because the idea struck me. I'm curious if your brother heard you saying that if he was if he deigned to listen to this podcast, which I don't think he does. <laughs> I'm curious because of grooming and what grooming is – 
your as, instinct as adult, is that he'd be embarrassed, right? That he would be embarrassed or wouldn't want it known that as a child that that was something that he wanted because he was groomed for so many years into thinking that was unacceptable. Now, when you become a father, obviously you have to push the stroller and it becomes okay when you're a dad. But as a child learning your roles in this grooming process, this was something that was instilled. I have two older sisters and there were things, you know, there was pink for them and there was blue for me. And, oh gosh, do and you remember Toys R Us when we were small and Toys R Us would have um, pink aisle and blue aisles? Oh, very segmented, yeah. The it was, signage it was color would actually be in pink and blue yeah. and it was like you were in the wrong aisle if you were in, you know, the opposite color to what your gender was. And I'm almost positive my Toys R Us, my local Toys R Us growing up, even had girls' toys like on like the aisle description. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I. 100% it was. It was. All, it was default boys, yeah. and then there were yeah. girl toy aisles. But it's so silly because, like, you know, when we're sitting here talking about you know becoming parents and this whole idea of like how you know Neil and Kevin are so freaked out about pregnant women and and parenting and being in the fertility clinic and all the things, calling it a vaginecologist and all of those things. But at the same time, we still split kids up and have the girls learn about girl stuff and the boys learn about boy stuff. Well. How then are we pointing at each other and saying, well, you don't really, you don't, you haven't bothered to learn what women go through. Well, no one bothered to teach them. <laughs> you know, right. you literally put them in another room and showed them a different movie. <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, my, my son is, he just turned 13 this year. He's at a stage of his life where there are hormones and there is puberty and there are girls for the first time that he acknowledges are girls and you know, there, are, there are guys and there are guys and it and it's a whole new world for him that he's coming into and and is trying to figure out what's acceptable and what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do and he's an arts kid right he's a music kid he's a little bit of a theater kid and he's getting ready to be in a community theater production of young frankenstein which opens in a couple months and we were talking we were just recently like just a few days ago we were talking about how when you are in theater you have to wear makeup you know because of the lights and and other things it's not infrequent uh or uncommon for even men to have to wear makeup and he had like a really like adverse reaction to that and i said well you know it's what you do though it's part of the show because you have to the way you look now isn't how you look on a stage under lights you know it's not the way you appear to an audience and so makeup helps make you look the way you're supposed to look and he also recently a dare in school led to him getting nail polish put on his fingers for the first time and he was very obviously and clearly looking for cues from me about whether or not that was okay or not okay and and all of these things and it's totally fine with me i and i told him i was like listen it's what you do i mean you're going to you're going to go through a phase where you're, you're going to put nail polish on your fingers and you know or white out or whatever it is like it's 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 fine like whatever you want to do is what you do but the idea that he felt a need to check with me and it felt very much like he was checking for me like is this okay behavior for me to do Broke my heart a little bit that he felt a need that it maybe wasn't okay, but also at the same time, though, reminded me that there are so many roles that people are assigned to play when they're young and you're taught to do X, Y, or Z, and that's appropriate for boys and that's appropriate for girls. And even, I mean, Patty says, I love when she says in the scene with Tammy, she says, I have cable. I know we're all supposed to be okay with this, you know, which mm -hmm. is something that you and I used to talk about, like Schitt's Creek, where like homosexuality and pansexuality weren't 
problems in Schitt's Creek. They were just, people were just people and everyone was accepted. That's not the real world though, unfortunately. And I like that Patty acknowledges this idea of, I know we're all supposed to be okay, but at the same time, there are still gender roles that are assigned and are groomed. And going through this with Tom, where he's learning what's okay as a boy or not a boy, has been very interesting to me as a dad, who never ever had to think about those things. Like, I never grew up with grooming rules. Um, you you know, think that, but I think that that's uh, not yes, really yes, true. Yes, because um, I, I think right, you right. would say that you raised Tom without those rules, and yet he clearly is entrenched right. in the two roles. Let me, and, right, right. I want to I want to clarify that, right? Because okay. I, not that I didn't grow up with grooming rules. It's that applying them to life isn't something that I am stuck on. Let me let me say it that way. Like if he wanted to go wear makeup or wear a dress, like, I don't care. I mean, I, I would, it's how he has to express himself. It's how he expresses himself. That's not for me to say, that's for him and his emotions to say, and I'm going to support him either way. That's how I feel. So I, everyone grows, I think everyone grows up with grooming rules, especially in our generation and, and, and older generations for certain grew up with those kinds of rules. But as a parent, I'm trying very hard not to enforce them. I'm trying not to instill them in him. And it's something I'm aware of. And as he gets older and goes into his teen years, it's something I'm even more aware of now, if that makes sense. But I felt Patty though here in this scene, in this episode, I felt Allison saying like, of course, that's what you do. Like that hurts my heart hearing that. Well, and I think that it also matters when it's happening to you. So I have I have several friends whose kids have come out gay and they have always said I would be okay no matter what they want and they can wear a dress or pants and they can wear makeup and they can do whatever. But when the moment it's happening to you and your own ideas have to switch, like if you thought there was going to be like this certain, I don't know, you don't mean to, but you kind of make up these like future ideas of what your kids will be like and you're not doing that to to try to pigeonhole them or something but people just naturally do it and when there's a divergent of that it doesn't really matter what it is it's one thing to say you would be okay with it and it's another thing to live it and I feel like that's what Patty was saying she was Mm. like I understand that the thought of this is accepted but the action of it is where I'm slowing down and pumping the brakes and not so sure that I personally am ready to walk the walk. Um, And I mean, first steps are to talk the talk, right? We want to start off by being accepting. And the hope is that over time, it just becomes so natural. We stop with the what the future looks like for individuals. A a great case in point, I think it is in this episode, where Neil comes into the house and sees Tammy and Patty clearly having had spent the night together. It's not like Tammy came over and sat on the couch, but he treats her as, you know, like he salutes her and he says like, you know, officer, sir, or whatever. He doesn't treat her as you're the one who just slept with my sister. Yes. And you know what they, what else they did? I thought this was just intriguing little set decorating kind of thing. They left the bedroom door open behind the couch so that you could see that was a woman's bedroom and the door was open. And there was something about that, that at no other point in time had we even had that angle because before we were always facing the bookcase and then facing back to the door, but not from that couch facing back. And that to me was like excellent audience cueing. Like they came from the bedroom in case no one's paying attention. Right. And it's obviously early morning and they're having coffee. Right. In case their pajamas didn't uh, do you in. Right. But, you know, 
I just think that that kind of stuff is great that they bothered to do that for anyone who's just like, I'm not really sure what they meant. I'm like, I feel like they gave us enough clues. The point I was trying to make was Patty's not having to deal yet with Neil asking her questions about, are you dating this woman? Like, Neil's not making that connection yet. So Mm-mm. Patty, you know, you could see where there's trepidation. It's again, I know we're all supposed to be okay with this, but she doesn't really know what Neil is going to say And given how Neil and Kevin behave and carry on, just look at how they act in the fertility clinic with the idea of women being pregnant, the idea of women's bodies grossing them out so much. I am terrified of Neil saying something accidentally or intentionally hurtful or so homophobic or just so insensitive as to crush Patty's soul it's a real fear I have. It's a real fear I have that he that she hasn't had to experience one way or another. My hope is he's like, ah, just make my sister happy. But I don't know. I don't know if that's in Neil's wheelhouse to do. Whether Not that he wants to hurt Patty's feelings. It's just his... We're all supposed it's, to be okay this, with it. We're supposed to be okay with it. But, but when it's in your own house, but how not are you going to behave? Right. In, yeah. in the real world, not everyone is, unfortunately. Or, again, when you're faced with it and it's your own family, you might just have that moment of, like, have to adjust. Like, I didn't plan for this, so how do I think about this in a different way? Not that they don't accept it, just that there's a moment of, like, wait, wait, what? You know, like, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for that information. Before we leave Allison and Patty, I think it's important to, to back up to the beginning of the episode because Allison here is... I think Allison does a lot of growing in this episode, and I think she really puts her crime-setting skills to bear and stuff. But I am troubled by the opening of the episode, or the first flashback, right? After we've seen her in the interrogation scene and the screen flashes to four days ago. The way she's acting, the way she's treating Patty's questions, I think Patty's really smart to walk her through this and have her rehearse this. I'm curious if you thought, was Allison being willfully naive to think that this will all end with Kevin's death and that she'll be able to live the scone book fantasy? Or is Patty being too harsh here in this scene and and treating her too stupid? I don't think that Patty is being out of line at all. I think that it's it's 100% understandable that, I mean, especially in a small town where there's sort of that feel of, of people are judging one another and there is that, I, I mean, it would be suspicious circumstances that Kevin died. There would be questions that they are really going to try to plant pills and do all this kind of stuff. Then but the question she was asking, were you involved with the drugs and all these kinds of things? I mean, that was all natural. Now, I think that Allison was being unusually dismissive. She was being kind of custy, I guess. You know, where she was like, of course I thought about this. When I really don't think she had thought about how much people were going to be looking at her. And I know that that's the conversation that clearly pushes her to do stuff like going to the fertility clinic and trying to make a paper trail and that stuff because she is trying to cover her bases. But I don't think she thought of these things. No. I loved the line of like, you can't just go have your scone and book life when the cold cuts at the funeral are done. Like, oh my God, the oh, cold cuts at the funeral. I, I oh thought my of, God, I so of, dead on. I thought of you and your Texas world. And, and, <laughs> and when, she said, when, when she said, when she said the line of, they're always going to be looking at you to see if you're mourning enough. Something about it, just again, but not and not not because you're in Texas, just because you have a, a a network of people more than I do, where it seems like in a very small community, you live in a you 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 strike me as someone who lives in a smaller community where everyone knows everyone's business, 
And there are people who are like, oh, I saw Bobby Albertson out there. Doesn't seem to be taking his wife's death too hard. You know, there are people gathering about their table and talking gossip about other people. And I think that's a thing in small towns. Uh, I am a hermit who doesn't go outside. So I don't <laughs> I don't have those interactions right, with people. Right. But. And I think we're using the small town like loosely because obviously, I mean, I don't live in a small town, but I don't live in New York City. And so there definitely is not the anonymity of a huge city. So for sure, within your own group, within the town, within your own like age span of like people you see at the YMCA or people you see at church or wherever you're at. Yeah, they're definitely going to be looking and yeah. trying to understand. Are you doing the things? And part of that, man, I just want to say this. I think there's a huge difference between judgment and trying to make sense of a situation. I think that especially when a young person dies, which Kevin would be 35, when a young person dies, I think that people all around you have a real need to make sense of the situation. Because if there's an ongoing threat, they want to make sure they're not doing the thing that could be threatening to their own lives. But also, like, when someone young dies, there's just that feeling of why and and they want answers. And so I think there's more scrutiny as to the situation. I'm not necessarily saying it's judgy, small town nastiness, but it's more like this is so unusual. There's going to be extra eyes on you and more heat than just a natural, you know, an elderly person passing away in the night. Like, this was a home invasion. This was a, you know, all the things that come into play where people are going to be scared and they want to make sense of it. They want to make sure they're safe. And and not for nothing, the idea of an affair being attached at the same time. Yes. Like, Patty, I don't know why. I'm curious what triggered Patty that she actually figured it out. Not that me too. Uh, I mean, the only the only thing is that she walks in and Sam is standing too too close to Allison when she comes into the restaurant last episode to give her the pearl novella. That's the only thing that could maybe tip me off. I'm curious what the thing is that tipped her off. But maybe Allison, I mean, Allison maybe isn't a great super spy and, and maybe isn't covering her tracks as well as Allison thinks she is to the point where it's not impossible for her to figure it out. Well, and also remember when she's she's getting ready for the AA celebration and she was like, are you, you know, you're going to sleep with him kind of thing? And she was like, no, he's married. And she's like, you're married, Allison. Like there was already like some groundwork laid between patty and allison yeah Yeah, that like patty's antenna would be up and so yeah then to see them physically close having her quit the liquor store going to work where sam is i mean come on it wasn't being subtle at all if it acts like a duck and it walks like a duck it quacks like a duck well you're fucking your boss i think that's what that means but uh i'm curious what you thought of this line because uh, very much like the if this is you broken stay broken i think this line from patty has so much weight to it patty really has the best lines in this episode and uh, i really appreciated this one so early in the episode things can't just happen everything you're doing right now is going to be judged if you're laughing at his jokes what you're buying at the damn grocery store it all sends a message and what do you think a fair says it's that yes Listen, I, I don't, you don't want to think ahead because it makes it real. It's not that. No, it is. And I get it. But closing your eyes to reality doesn't change anything. It just makes you blind. So you got to be smarter than this. Smarter than having an affair right now. I know. I know, I know, I know. Hey, eyes open, right? 
how many times do you wish in your life someone had reminded you to keep your eyes open that that closing your eyes and putting your head in the sand doesn't change it doesn't doesn't take away the problem don't we all need that person time to time in our lives when she says that so clearly and so simply you know it doesn't make it go away it just makes you blind ignoring it is doesn't make that whole thing not happen it just makes you less able to deal with it this is the kind of tough love scene that when sam did similar things and pointed similar things out to her for self-reflection moments we applauded sam as being someone willing to speak truth to power to allison i love it i love it so much more coming from patty here because the journey they've been on in these seven episodes uh, even though this is early on in the seventh episode it's delivered with a dose of true love and caring and affection because Yes, she's yelling at her for one part of it, but at the end of it, and the reason I let the clip play so long is she says, eyes open, and then there's a long pause. And she goes, right? And it's very loving and reassuring. It, it, it says in delivery and body language, I'm not mad at you. I just want you to be as prepared as you can be for what is coming down. For you, for me, for us for everything that's about to happen for this course of action that we have decided. It, it, it's a very loving moment, even though it sounds like it's being wrapped in a scolding. It's not. It's a lot how Allison's taking it, though, too. Like I said, like it's kind of uncharacteristically dismissive of her, and it and that's making it come off like hostile between them. But there's nothing about what Patty's saying that is remotely, you know, rude or scolding or over the top or anything. It's just that Allison is being so prickly about it mm -hmm. that it's making it feel that way. Like you know, if she if she was having the response of like you know, uh, you're right. Let's figure this out. Let's you know, ask me again. Let's go through this again. It would have had a totally different feel. But yeah. Allison just isn't prepared. And here's the thing. she that We get it with, with the Jen and the Sam Hole part about, like, maybe I don't want to waste the next 15 years. We know Allison has been in this life for 15 years. And so there's a fair shot that she's never gone into a situation eyes open. We've questioned this about her impulsivity. Hasn't really ever thought it completely through. And, and I mean, there's some great acting going on here it, when when – Allison blows up saying, I know, I know, I know. But yeah, you may know, but you're not willing to admit to yourself that you know. You need this conversation. You need Patty to to be telling you this to you because it's the only way. Talk about keeping your eyes closed. You've got your eyes closed, your head in the sand. Like you're doing all of the things possible, but we're in the end game here. And this is when you have to be the best. And it does motivate her, right? I think every, I think you're 100% right. Everything she does after this, the trail, the paper trail at the fertility clinic, breaking up with Sam, all of those actions, none, she doesn't do any of that if not for Patty laying it out for her so explicitly here. Okay, so I have a couple of questions. There's portions to this where obviously, you know, she she goes through the trouble of, you know, knocking over the brochure to make sure that the receptionist will remember her mm -hmm. and those types of little moments. What do you make of her throwing all of the paperwork into the trash can and not even in a trash bag or anything, but just laying it on top of the trash? What do you make of that? Was it meant to be found? That was a problem for me, because if you're trying to create a paper trail, you bring that into the house with you. You don't throw it away. Right, you want the records in your home to match the records they're going to find at the fertility clinic. Yeah, that's right. I said it. 
<laughs> but it also didn't really truly feel like she threw them away. It felt like she laid them display style on top of the trash, like easily found. Because she knows that Neil's going to go through their trash. Because she doesn't really I have guess. an she doesn't have an adverse reaction to being found out about it. She she Mm-mm. she is upset that they keep touching her stomach. Which again, mm. as a guy <laughs> who had to watch at the time my wife's stomach be touched by strangers bothers me and I think is gross. I can't have imagined what you feel about it. I'm curious if it bothers you, but I felt Allison on a visceral level being grossed out by Pete, Allison, uh, Pete, Nick, and Neil constantly trying to touch her stomach. Does that something that bothered you? Was that something you experienced? I mean, you had twins. Yeah, like, I had yeah. twins. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I had a big belly. Yeah. I mean, people were especially like overly interested in the idea that I was having twins. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of interest. I think for the most part other women were pretty cool about it but yeah men that's a weird thing like i don't know why i don't know why you would think that anyone should touch anyone else yeah you like, shouldn't it's pretty weird but, i mean i i don't want anyone patting my belly after i've had a big meal and i look like i'm carrying <laughs> a baby like don't touch my stomach and say oh you did some good drinking there like don't oh do that oh my god don't no, do that no, please. No, no 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 well i know that you had a question mark with with her crying and being so upset throughout the episode about whether or not you think that she could be pregnant right now like you were maybe equating that certainly that'd be a wrench in the plans here i feel like it would be a wrench in the plans because presumably it would also be sam's baby not kevin's I, I but maybe i mean we know for we know for a fact in the course of this series her and sam have had sex but we also know for a fact that her and kevin have had sex Think back to one of those early episodes, right, where they do the sitcom pull away as Kevin is wiggling his eyebrows and then she is in the drama world, you know, washing out her mouth at some point later in the night. At so, least a blowjob happened. At there. least a blowjob happened, but I. I but Kevin, I don't know if it was more right. Kevin strikes me as someone who likes to plant his flag, and so. Yikes. Um, yeah, so I, I, it does complicate things. Uh, when you are, you know, newly pregnant, right? You're, you're, all the hormones, things like crying happen, right? Uh, unexplained emotional responses. These are the things TV and movie have taught us, right? Women begin to have unpredictable emotional responses to things when they become pregnant. Is this true or not true? Is well, you could it? say stereotypically that would be it. So if we were going to try to follow that as a stereotypical trait, then maybe that's what they're trying to cue us into. I'm sure and I'm I'm positive that the fertility clinic would do a pregnancy test and do you blood work and stuff. Yes. I'm positive. I am positive that they would. That That's just, I mean, you have to pee in a cup anytime you go. As a woman, the first question they ask you is, you know, what was the last date of your marriage? menstrual period business and all that kind of, uh, I, it's always embarrassing i'm always like i don't know <laughs> which which they very I can't possibly, remember which they i mean it's very possible given the time frame in which this episode takes place they have done and they just haven't gotten around to calling her to tell her she's pregnant at this point oh yeah i mean i think episode eight could be i mean what a cliffhanger if she is pregnant right like she's walking out the morning right walks out the morning uh from leaving the police station and she gets a call from the clinic saying you know great news you're pregnant you don't have to worry about your fertility issues yeah yeah uh. <laughs> because then it's yeah. a question of is it sam's is it kevin's what does this mean now i mean presumably if you're going to go along the lines that it's kevin's you're now really much more it feels like tied to this man who you were literally just trying to kill not too long ago what well, what's your take why do you think she has this damn broken of crying that then continues throughout the episode 
if you if you put the pregnancy stuff aside as a potential, and I think that that's fair to pin up on the board because that's certainly it, it would. That's mirror, all I'm doing it for. I'm just doing it purely as interesting television. Yeah, it would mirror Kevin's response with the gun when he said something changes inside of you when you know you're going to become a dad, and I feel more protective and stuff like that. It would mirror that if she finds out she's pregnant in eight. And then her attitude and things change in some way. That would be like, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. But to speak to why I think she's crying, partially, I mean, when she really breaks down, it is at the fertility clinic. And I think that, you know, she's sitting there talking about wanting to have kids and in and, and this future it is very emotional. And, and again, it's, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about, about picturing your life in a certain way. And when it, when it doesn't go that way, it's not that you're not okay that it isn't going that way, but you still have that moment of like, holy shit. And you kind of have to like recalibrate. And I think a lot of this crying and a lot of this breaking down to me is things becoming more real and, and things happening in a way that it's like, you've now put all of this in motion. It's her pilot story. You know, you're in the plane, it's in the pilot's hands and all those things that you thought were going to happen, thinking back to her wedding day and all that stuff, I mean, that's all stuff that is going to get you going, I think. So I saw enough there that I don't necessarily think that the pregnancy thing, I think it makes good television. And, and I mean, just the idea to Kevin and we, we see in this episode how he, I mean, his immediate response to fertility clinic is that Allison must be the problem because his, his, beehive is full of primo pollen what a classic kevin take on fertility issues not is my wife okay not is there something happening here that i need to know about is she you know it's that she's the problem and i am going to prove that i my guys can swim i found it very 1950s mentality when neil said why would she go to the and he called it you know Fartility. Vagicology. He calls it the vagicologist. Vaginicologist. Vaginicologist, yes. The vaginicologist. Only after when there was like ultrasounds and stuff like that, my partner came with me. But like before that, I mean, what are you talking about? Like women go to the OBGYN or go to the gynecologist. They don't take their husbands. Like, what are you talking about? That I mean, she was she was essentially going for a well check and like making sure that everything was okay. Um, in order to consider getting pregnant, that's not something that your husband would be in there at at an appointment with you. So, I mean, not in my opinion, maybe or other people, but not not for me. So, I was like, "What are you? What even is this?" But it definitely confronted that thinking. Well, I agree with you that it was very consistent with how Neil and Kevin view themselves and view Allison, or how they view Kevin and Allison, but. There is a part of me that agreed with it to the extent that if we've never talked about having kids, we've been married 10 years, kids haven't been a thing, that if you're going to a fertility clinic, I would I would be upset if my wife was going to a fertility clinic about whether there are issues or not issues or, or thinking about it. Like, I'd want to be involved because not that I'd feel, like, angry about it, but I'd want to know to be a support like if there are fertility issues to be considered if this is something like are you thinking about starting a family like that's a that's a conversation i'd like to be involved in so i got it actually from a partner standpoint if you're it going to a, it's because it's not because it's not a gynecologist's office it's a fertility clinic right it wasn't it was, it was yeah. like 
I mean, so yes. That, but that's a conversation I, uh, that as a partner, I think I'd want to be involved in. Not, a conversation, but like the idea of like that's of not going, really what Neil sure. said. I don't know. Yeah, like, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you wouldn't be in the appointment with her. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe I'm being more private than other people would be. But I just feel like it's like I don't I don't know anyone at that stage. Yes, once you're pregnant. And yes, when it's about seeing the baby on the ultrasound. Sure. But when you're at the part where they're just looking inside of you. No, what? What? Okay. No, no okay. one else is in there. But we've been but we've been married ten years. Now you're gonna show up pregnant? Like that feels like that's a conversation that should be had after ten years of marriage where clearly they've not been actively trying because this would have come up earlier than now, ten years ago. Presumably she's on some kind of birth control or Kevin is. She's taking steps to get pregnant. That seems like a conversation that a couple should have. Are we going to have kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was just being way more just just exactly what he said and i was like i have never been in a doctor's office being examined with my husband like that just seems like of what course. are you talking of about of course but again it wasn't a gynecologist visit though it was a fertility visit and that seems like a conversation that even if he didn't go with her it's to me it didn't I strike agree. me as a conversation as, as a conversation, a conversation. That, that should have probably been had now of sure. course do they handle it well no because do they talk to her about it no they go like two idiots and they go investigate it and he what he gets his sperm tested like that's where he jumps to getting his sperm tested um and of course kevin has you know, 99% motility in his sperm. Because just like you don't need a license to become a parent, but you need a license to fish, guys who probably shouldn't be dads always have great motility. So there you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. the Why did she leave it in the garbage? Why is she crying? She starts off the crying. She has her first crying after Sam tells her she's broken. Yes. Well, and she breaks up with him. I mean, I don't think she wanted to break up with him. You know, I think she wanted to continue that. Yes. Right, right, right. But but hearing, though, what he said to her as a response to that, though, mm -hmm. I think is the real thrust of that emotion, which then rolls right into a reflection and memory lane of having kids and why did we get married? I think there's I think she's being confronted with all of these emotional things that she's been able to be on autopilot for so many years. You know, her sitcom life was the only life she knew for so many years. She hasn't had to really confront heavy emotional tolls. She hasn't had to think about having kids. She hasn't had to think about why she got married to Kevin. She just was with no other options for so mm -hmm. many years. Now that she's being confronted with all of these heavy questions, the dam is just giving way to her emotions. And that's why she's... And even the so doctor much. saying, like, it's good that you didn't wait any longer. I think that there's this sense of, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's this sense of, like, did you let too much time go by? Have you lost so much of your life to this situation? You know, of course, on top of, like, if you really do want to have kids, you know, did, did you make bad choices by, you know, putting your head in the sand? Like... Are your choices, like, limited now? There's a lot there. <laughs> because we've been talking about it, I thought it was very interesting that we got even more glimpse into Kevin's life as a kid with Pete as his dad. I'm Ooh. curious if you heard this line and what you thought of it. Uh, let's, let's talk about this before we wrap up. When you have a kid, it becomes all about them, which means it's not about me, and that sucks. <laughs> you are a blessing, Kevin. You never caused me a problem once. Well, thanks. But that's because you were drunk off the blood of Christ, Pop. Whoa. I mean, again, we have a laugh track, and it's in the brightly colored world, so it's delivered with laughs. 
But that's fighting words. Like, I know some dads that would take so fucking kindly to their son calling them an alcoholic. <laughs> well, and he calls him Pete. He doesn't call him dad. So there's a lot going on between the two of them that if you pick up on the, you know, I don't even know how much he was around. I don't know. You know, to say, like, you never caused me a moment trouble. You could take that, like, yeah, so Kevin wasn't a bad kid. Or you could take that, like, Pete wasn't around. You know, Pete didn't deal with Kevin, you right. know. I'm sure Patty and Neil's father probably could also say, you guys never caused me any trouble. And well, right. it's because we know he was never around to be He's a parent there. to them. <laughs> right. You, right. Were, you were never a parent to us. That's why we didn't cause you any trouble. This whole layer of drinking and like accusation of drinking like happens many times now, though. In this episode, Patty's definitely judging Allison sitting in the bathtub with the, with the bottle of wine. You know, Sam asks Allison about drinking. Pete's drinking is a part of this. Sam's drinking is a part of this. Maybe even the catalyst of him showing up at Allison's house, if that's how the storyline goes. Drinking is like a whole theme here in and of itself. Drinking and alcohol has been, and liquor has been a part of this story, though, from the very beginning, right? Yeah. She worked at the mm-hmm. Packy. And the fact that the... The discount. <laughs> right, right. That becomes an issue. Is when, when, you know, I got already got another job. The first question is not where or f- for more money or anything. It's do you get a discount at a liquor Is it at a liquor or, store? And like what days Kevin can be hungover is like a whole conversation. Right, and, sick. You know, sick, yeah, right. like yeah. the whole thing. Like there's a lot to it. Yeah, no, liquor is a part of their life. I didn't get Patty judging Allison for drinking in her bathtub. I got because she takes the bottle and she takes a long pull off of it herself and then gets in the bathtub and continues to drink with her. I think she got I think she was judging her for having a pity party in the bathtub. I think that's what it was. I don't I don't think liquor is the is a big issue for them in this. Maybe that says something about me. But I, I, I think I think it's something that's coming up. Obviously, we just heard. Kevin refer you know talking to his father about how you were drunk off your ass and again another religious thing right remember we yeah, have yeah we have, we have Pete laughing at revelations a couple episodes ago that stood out for me so much that I feel like we've picked up on other couple of religious uh innuendos when it comes to Pete was he a deacon what <laughs> right <laughs> That's well funny. I mean, well because deacons and you know Protestant I'm familiar but right. yeah 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 but just still funny. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't going there. I mean, that he's drinking Christ's blood. So what is he doing? Like th- three, three <laughs> services a day as a parishioner? <laughs> he's like, uh, you know, that was Maybe a Maybe he's just referring to wine as Christ's blood, right? So no, no, it's Maybe. not that he's like taking it at mass or something, but maybe it's Maybe, but we like... know that Pete has read Revelations enough to find yeah. it funny. Oh, so for sure. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Pete maybe spent a lot of time in church, maybe working out his demons from the war or whatever the PTSD was. Who knows? Yeah. But Pete is fascinating to me. Pete as a yes. dad is fascinating to me. And I feel like the last two episodes have really pulled back the curtain on him and Kevin and has really started to color in that picture of how Kevin came to be Kevin McRoberts. Really, really fascinating. I can't wait for the the finale here, episode eight, to come along. Whoa, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting. So I'm hoping everyone who's listening will stick around because we have a fantastic interview that we're lining up for episode eight. We'll just tease it there. You'll have to watch over on Twitter for more information. Thank you guys for listening to Kevin Kim Podcast himself. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and all of our podcasts at Pod Clubhouse, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating, we'd really appreciate it. We've been loving the comments that you guys have been leaving for us and having the discussions with you on the different uh, podcast servers and over on our Facebook group, Kevin Kim F himself fans. Please leave us a five-star rating because, listen... 
I'm broken and I want to stay broken, but I can only do that if you leave us five star ratings. I don't want to be a naggy ficus. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.